Welcome and thank you so much for joining us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're all under quarantine and all of us are finding different ways to relieve the stress of being stuck at home. Now, we've begun taking some family hikes. We go behind our house, we have some woods that we're able to hike through. As we've been doing these uh, hikes, we've come across this tree. It's, a, it's the same time, uh, same place. Of course, the tree is always in the same place, but we come to this, this location, and we always take pictures on this tree. It's a very unique tree, and as we were taking this hike this past week, uh, you can see some of the footage in the introduction there. It got me thinking about the uniqueness of that tree, and we today are celebrating that Jesus got off a tree that he, the uniqueness of him coming off of that tree, being buried and resurrected. Now, let's jump into the account of the crucifixion, uh, and let's look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the perspective of John. He's one of the four biographers of the life of Jesus, and in John chapter 19, John chapter 19, verse 17, it says, so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic means, is, which is it's called Golgotha. There they crucified him, with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Now where is this place called the place of the skull or Golgotha? John gives us more of a description of the location of Jesus' death and later uh, his resurrection in that same chapter. In, in the verse 41 of John 19, it says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. So we know that where Jesus was crucified was a garden. For me, this immediately changes all the pictures I had conjured in my mind about the death of, and resurrection of Jesus. John continues to tell us where Jesus was also buried. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was uh, close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So there was a grave in the garden. Jesus was in a grave in a garden. Now, let's just slow down for a minute. We always want to get to the good part of the story. Uh, on Good Friday, we watched the Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ as a family, and it's hard to watch. And, and several times through the movie, one of the kids would quietly say, can we, can we just stop watching? We, we know how it ends. But... John is writing here, and he's wanting to emphasize something that is easy for our modern minds just to skip over. Now, no other gospel writer refers to the place where Jesus is crucified as a garden. Here, John mentions twice that Jesus was both crucified and buried in a garden. So when we study scripture, we need to make sure that we study in, everybody, at the same time, all together, context. John is intentionally pointing us back to another garden, the first garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, we get a description of that. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. God plants a garden, and then it says, And there he placed man he had made. The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When God plants a garden, you know it is going to be amazing. The description of the garden, though, is very different than what our mind goes to. When I, when I think of a garden, I think of a ground that has been tilled. I, I envision neat rows of vegetables and stakes where, that holds the tomato plant branches up as those beautiful tomatoes ripen. 
But the Jewish mind, and according to this description of the first garden here in Genesis, a garden looks more like a forest full of trees that produce fruit trees, olive trees, maple trees, and more. Now, my OCD mind wants it to be structured in nice little rows, but when I see the beauty of nature, I believe that our hikes through the woods may be a better description of the Garden of Eden. It was in the first garden that God placed Adam. It is there that he forms Eve because it's not good for Adam to be alone. From the very beginning, we are intended to be in relationships. However, the paradise and the perfection of this first garden would be, lo- would be lost. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told that the crafty serpent slithers into his way into the garden and convinces Eve that the restrictions that God has given them are to not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was just his way of controlling them. If she would eat from, from it, she would gain knowledge and that God was trying to keep her from that. Convinced, she ate the fruit and then took it to Adam, and he too ate the fruit. Sure enough, they received knowledge. Knowledge that they weren't good enough, that they were not sufficient, that they were naked. They, they attempted to rectify this inadequacy by covering themselves with leaves from the trees around them, but it wasn't enough. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it records that when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It was in this moment that there was a grave in the first garden. Man's intimate relationship with God was buried. Man hid from God. God was searching for man, and this this has continued to this very day. There's another grave in the first garden. Adam's response to God's call to them was, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. This declaration shows the internal battle we all deal with. I'm not enough. I'm broken. I'm afraid. I'm a disappointment. I don't know how to, to be me, so I'll just hide. It's self-focused and all about self-preservation. God asked them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And Adam's response is the first recorded blame game in history. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and and I ate it. And yet another grave in the first garden as the unity between humanity is buried. The relationship between man and woman is now broken, and as a carryover, so is every other human relationship. The final grave in the garden that is seen through the curse on the ground. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Man's relationship with creation is laid to rest. Buried in the grave of the first garden is our relationships with God, ourselves, with others, and creation. For many of you, you can relate all too easily with these graves. You, you look around at the world and you see chaos, destruction, and death. You feel as though the earth is doomed and buried in despair. For some of you, you've gone through brokenness of a relationship that is now buried. You've been hurt by someone you allowed close enough to cause you serious damage. A large portion of society looks in the mirror every day and sees a person that is frustrated, overwhelmed, disappointed, and disappointed in themselves, and, and struggling to get through the day. Internally, 
you feel broken, you feel buried alive. Sadly, all of us have felt like God is so far away that he may, na- he may not even exist. Is he, is he distant or does he just not care? This is the garden that John wants you to have in mind. From the moment that man, man buried these relationships in the first garden, God had a plan to restore them to their intended design. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he tells the serpent, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In the book of Revelations, chapters 21 and 22, John receives a revelation, a vision of a restored world. Revelations chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. God had a restoration plan. Now let's transition back to John. John tells us that what takes place next in the garden where the grave of Jesus was. In in verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, Early on Sunday morning, the next morning, while it was still dark, so the grief of the night had overcome Mary and her ability to sleep, and it says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from from the entrance not knowing what she had discovered and probably fearful of what it may mean. She, she runs and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. It's John who's writing this book. She said to them, hey, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She was assuming that someone had taken the body of Jesus. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for until, until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Now there's a major difference between the graves in the garden. The grave in the first garden, the relationship between God, ourselves, others, and creation are buried. And the grave in the second garden was not able to contain Jesus. Okay, okay Josh, cool connection, but what's the significance? Now let's just jump down a few verses to find out what happened the evening Jesus came out of the grave in the garden. It's in verse 19 of chapter 20. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, uh, were fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, now peace is more than a feeling. It, it means wholeness and completeness. When, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. For emphasis, Jesus wants them to understand that his resurrection is restoration. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. By coming out of the grave, Jesus begins the restoration of mankind's relationship with God. You can be in relationship with him because he did not stay in the grave. There should be lots of hearts, lots of smiley faces right now. 
But one of the apostles, Thomas, was, was not in the room. In John chapter 20, verse 25, we see his internal struggle. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And just as Adam struggled with internal doubt, Thomas expresses his doubts and reservations. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again and puts to rest every internal distrust and reluctance. As Thomas felt the wounds of Jesus, he knew that Jesus was no longer in the grave and neither was his internal struggle. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, and then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do, have not seen and yet will believe. Jesus lets Thomas in on the power of his resurrection. Thomas, you'll never be enough as long as you try to do it yourself. You will struggle. But Jesus is enough. Later, the disciples are, are fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus shows up on the shore. He, he asks them if they've caught anything. And it sounds like they must have been fishing with me because the reply is, not a single one. And Jesus tells them to put the, the nets on the other side of the boat, and they catch so many fish that the boat can't handle them all. Realizing that it's Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. The rest join him there, and they have a fish fry with Jesus for breakfast. Jesus demonstrated to them that he is the Lord of creation, and it too would be restored. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, the one disciple that had denied him three times during his trial, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus asked. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus invites Peter and you and I into the restoration of others because he is no longer in the grave in the garden. Jesus has partnered with us. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. By coming out of the grave in the garden, Jesus revives everything that was buried in the first garden. That is what we celebrate today. Jesus has come out of the grave in the garden. Do you recognize him? Let, let, me, let me move back just a, a few paragraphs. After Peter and John had realized that Jesus was no longer in the grave and had left the garden, J John writes in chapter 20, verse 11, that Mary remained weeping outside the tomb. Jesus was there in the garden with her. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, check that out, the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She, uh, and Jesus said to her, 
Mary? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Did you catch that? She had mistaken Jesus as the gardener. Now, he had finished his work in the garden. It was when she turned to Jesus that she recognized him. This is your moment to turn to Jesus. Recognize that he is not in the grave. He has arisen to restore our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and creation. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we turn to you today because you have risen from the grave in the garden. Your death, burial, and resurrection gives us access to a relationship with God, our creator. Thank you. We worship you and place you on the throne of our lives, and we will follow you. Heaven has come to earth and has partnered with us to be part of the restoration of all things. Like never before, we need to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we go into worship the, uh, the song and use the song, the cross has the final word, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is he bringing back to life in your life this Easter? This Resurrection Sunday, we can boldly proclaim he is no longer in the grave in the garden. He is risen.